0: Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to episode three of Dashing Agent, the podcast. I'm Reese Hayes here with Mr. Finch out on a walk. Um, I had a really great conversation with actor, producer, good person, Eric Swader, who you should recognize from Cobblestone Three as well as Half Bath Chapter Three, about branding oneself, doing work for free making the film community a better place, all sorts of stuff. It was a really good talk. We talked for a while, and there's a lot of good stuff. That's why I'm not trying to intrude too much upon that conversation. And also, Mr. Finch is taking a shit on the sidewalk now, so i got to pick that up. Um, Yeah, I hope you enjoy it, and uh, thank you for listening. You're a kind person. Love you. I'm turning the fridge off. I'll do my best to remember to turn it on. But there are no guarantees. On life, and me remembering to turn the fridge on, I've I've done that more than once. Please, yeah. Please I forgot. It. To on. I'm gonna try my best to remember.
1: I'll okay. remind him.
0: Okay. I'll also try my best to remember. Yeah. Hey, what's up, buddy? Welcome to the uh, the Dashing Agent. No, sorry. Welcome to Dashing Agent, the podcast. I love it. Oh, that's so good. I don't. I haven't. I couldn't think of a name. And I was like,
1: well, that's such a great name for a production company. You so it's so? like, I, yeah, I think it lends itself very well to a podcast as well.
0: It feels really good that
1: you say that. Good. It gets the sweater-tot endorsement.
0: What's up, buddy? What's new? I watched uh, I watched Late Night Today yeah. a few times. Yeah. That was awesome. As
1: everyone should, it's standard issue. There's a government subsidy behind uh, promoting it. So, no, I wish. Thank you so much. Uh, that's, that's uh, for folks who don't know, my our good friend Anthony Paduzzi's Late Night Today. Um, uh, not won't go too deep into the spiel, but it's the story of a late night icon who finds redemption. Late night icon finds redemption in a place he never expected public access television. There was a colon in there, it feels more dramatic in print. Um, but yeah, it was a great production. Um, it's one of those things where he and I definitely want to do more with it, and we're gonna see where things take us. But it, I
0: know there was some talk of a feature adaptation. Is that still in the works? There was
1: talk of, I think at one point he had thought of it as a feature. I think at the last time we talked about it, we kicked around the idea that it might become a series of some kind. Um, it's, it's, I think it's a matter of, you know, it's, it's, it's Tony's baby. You know, I just came on to help midwife it. So it's one of those things where I would do it forever. If I could, I would play George forever if I could, but mostly I want to work with Tony and so I will pretty much do whatever Tony throws me.
0: Yeah. No, he's amazing. I, I love it so much. I thought your performance was incredible. Thank you. Um, my only complaint e. about the whole thing e. was that it I wanted it to be a feature. For it sure. felt like a feature,
1: but it wasn't yeah. given the
0: time, you know?
1: Yeah. That's something we talked about a lot um, in the the aftermath of the production release, this idea of, like, it's it's in a positive way, it feels unfulfilled to us and i think that that's something we definitely want to expand and grow and, and develop.
0: Tell me tell me a little bit about the um about the sweeted silence. Oh, the silence.
1: sweeted silence. Well, as many people know, uh last year the uh Oscar winning uh, uh film uh, entry, our entry um just swept.
0: Yeah, Willy Wonka and the chocolate swept
1: cake. the yeah. swept the, the hearts and and Swept the hearts right off their feet. Um, and it was it was a lot of fun to make. It was one of the craziest things that we've ever done. Um, it was a thing that really found itself in the edit. And apparently people thought it was quite amusing. It's hilarious. Uh, we were making a serious film. Uh, and apparently, yeah. apparently, <laughs> people took it differently and that's fine. Um, no, that was a hoot to do. Uh, we got the call. I got the call from from Tony and... Another very good friend of mine, Shannon Daly, a brilliant production designer, uh, who also production designed late night today, Um, basically at the last minute saying, hey, we got to do Silence. I think I was at work. They were like, we're doing Silence of the Lambs. We're sweeting it. We are, for those uh, unfamiliar, we are making a low budget, um, ill-remembered take of of a a classic film. Yeah. Um, And it's Silence of the Lambs. And I was overjoyed to take the role of uh, Clarice Starling.
0: I wanted to do this we did last year, and I wrote a script for Signs of y- the Lambs. You did. Yeah. I
1: remember that. Yeah. yeah.
0: It was, uh, from what other Eric told me, um, it was a lot more ambitious than what y'all did. Not in a good way. I wrote like a five-page, three-to-five-page sure. script yeah. that was like,
1: you know, it it, it would not have been as
0: i uh... I'm excited to see what y'all
1: did. The, the, well, what, what I think is... Not that, and I would like to make that or see your your vision someday. But it's dead now. but never say never. It's dead now. Um, uh, What I think I really enjoy about because we've done I've done the Sweeted now three times with Tony. First one was, First one was uh, the Exorcist. exorcist. You, yeah. um, and every single time, the perspective has been, let's not take this even an iota seriously. Uh, there, like nothing was written for any of these entries we show up and we just it's it's very loose improv yeah um and what's what's funny i remember the first time when we did the exorcist we i mean we were all we had a few beers when we were working on a shot i remember at one point um ralph delulo uh another great guy and a very good cinematographer we had just finished a take and then he turned to anthony and said he honestly, truthfully asked if we needed to do uh, a couple different takes for just to make sure we had the coverage, <laughs> and they both looked at each other and realized that there was zero point. <laughs> like <laughs> this wasn't that kind of uh, outing. So yeah. it's it's a blast to do. It's a lot of fun.
0: So what else have you got going on? You're uh you're in a new feature, the clearing. The
1: clearing. Yes.
0: Tell us what you can about that.
1: So that is um a very interesting new sci-fi feature. Um, it's it's hard to talk. Too much about it or go too much in depth because it's very the the way that writer director Stephanie Trainer and her partner Carl have conceived this is very much sort of a a puzzle. And it's it's a puzzle that unfolds as the film progresses. And so it's hard to go too in depth without sort of spoiling the experience for viewers. But the the nuts and bolts, the very literal surface story is it's about a croatian journalist who comes to america tracking this very unusual storm in in pennsylvania and appalachia um and that has some some connections to the con- to con- i'm gonna try that one more time the Tunguska. <laughs> please don't i insist that you don't <laughs> edit it out no um the Tunguska blast uh, that took place i believe in siberia in the early 20th century so this is a, are you familiar with this no not at all so the Tunguska blast was a phenomenon um it it was functionally a fireball that consumed this unusual amount of woods okay. in northern russia or siberia i can't remember exactly where um and to this day there's no clear explanation as to what it was um the the one of the working theories i think is that it was a comet that got close enough to the earth to create a firestorm oh, wow. that subsumed everything. But it was it consumed so much, it, it just, just leveled miles and miles and miles. Oh, that's terrifying. Yes, it is. Um, and in director Stephanie Trainer's vision of this thing, it, it, there's a little more going on to it. It's, it's a more... Uh, I don't want to say supernatural. It's more of a science fiction interpretation of the event that has some connections to this storm that takes sure. place in Pennsylvania. So it follows... Our hero, this Croatian journalist, into this storm as she interviews people who have suffered from its effects.
0: What role do you play? What's your deal?
1: So I play, um, in previous continuity, I play the character's father. Okay. So I am the character's father in in flashbacks and sort of previous continuity. and that's why the beard is extra big? Correct. That's why I have a trademark sweater beard going, which for the viewers at home is significant at the moment. Yeah, just a big bushy beard. It's a bushy. A great big bushy beard.
0: <laughs> oh, how fuzz. Oh, this is great. Yeah, boy.
1: This podcast is off to a good start. What are, okay, so what are you working on? Just a lot of cobblestone, man. Yeah.
0: Yeah, we're doing that. Um, We're trying to find some freelance clients. Sure. Um, and then I've got some ideas for some like little short sort of micro documentaries. But yeah, other than that, just kind of, we're just struggling to finish. We got, Shot almost all of four, and then yeah. we've got three more episodes after that. But yeah, it's true. So I'm I'm pretty pumped up. We're still struggling to write episode six. Mm-hmm. Episode five is good to go. Your character's in episode five. I know. So that's exciting. I'm excited about it. Um, but yeah, and then I, I know, I know everything that happens in seven, that hasn't been written yet. Okay. But six is really really throwing us off. Is Vexing you? Yes. Um Eric and Reese go to hell. It's like sure. a big thing, and we're like not quite sure how to get them out of hell. Sure. So that's what we're struggling with right now. That sounds like a cool episode, though. It should be fun. I don't know. We, So, so like I said, we want we want Russell to come back to play yeah, Fran. Yeah. Um, and if they go to hell, they'd probably see a demon. Yeah. So we were thinking, Russell's working for Microsoft or something out in Seattle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we were like, well, maybe we should make hell Seattle. But yeah, that's about it. Yeah. Um. Oh, uh, so I reached out to to Mark Cantu, yeah, uh, about his new movie. Mm-hmm. I don't know where I was getting at with this, but uh... oh, right, this was supposed to be a segue into um, making the Pittsburgh film community a, a better place. Absolutely. And uh, so, yeah, I think it's really cool that there that there's two indie features being shot in Pittsburgh right now. Yeah, which is awesome. Yeah. They both seem like really interesting projects. We,
1: we are at a good moment where we have people who are beginning to figure out how to do this independently. And I, as you know, i worked with Mark on my first feature performance, which was Night Zero. Um, and that was oh, two years ago at this point, just about, wow, yeah. which is wild. It's interesting watching people learn from their experiences and begin to develop beyond them, because it seems like that's the pattern is that, that you get the opportunity to do a feature you do short work in between you do you pick up whatever film gigs you can and then you learn and you build on what you did previously um it's 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 not unlike a, a film school experience where yeah. it's you you try an experience you stretch muscles in a way that you hadn't before and you build on that um, and so i think that we are at an interesting point we're at an exciting point where i think we are beginning to see indie crews get things off the ground
0: but yeah i think it's really cool i think this summer's like really big for the Pittsburgh indie scene I'm really excited I I
1: think there's effort and I think that that's that's exciting and really cool I will say and the the thing that I think I've continued to harp on to people about is I'm I am really passionate about series I think that is the because features are great and they're a great way for filmmakers to to set their roots and build reputations but I, I think in the market that's emerging I think series are are the most exciting route.
0: Do you think? What do you, you think's like the best path if, if uh, in a serialized story?
1: I think I honestly think it's a matter of throwing something at the wall and seeing what sticks. Sure. I, I think I think serial formatting generally is a great way to attract audiences because it's it's this it's a pipeline of content without reducing what we do to to just like. It, it, you can use content so much that it starts to devalue the work that you yeah. want to do. <clears throat> but it's, it's this idea of if you create a stream of work, a stream of content that appeals to people, it's a way to build and keep an audience. And I think that that's – I just think that's the ideal way for, for new filmmakers to do that. I think if you look at um, Edgar Wright and Spaced. One of my favorites. It's a great, great show. And I think it. I think it effectively built his reputation because yeah, I think definitely. it. It's the kind of thing that builds a cult following, and I think it attracts a lot of people, in the way that certainly features can, but not to, to a more limited extent.
0: Yeah, I understand that. I mean, that was honestly the intention of Cobblestone, and yeah. we've we've failed spectacularly. <laughs> um, I mean, I, we are not doing ourselves any favors in um, how long each episode takes to come out, and also. I've you know people don't want to watch something that's fifteen minutes long. I think what people, especially especially a um, you know, narrative story. Well,
1: I I think I don't think you're wrong. I think there's it's you're familiar with like the it's the uncanny uncanny valley concept of like animated or like are you familiar with this concept? No. So the uncanny valley is uh, a concept that relates to animation and CGI. So if there's uh a human character, then that's the most easily accessible. You can have an animated character and it's understood that it's an animated character and it can be expressive and and reactive to its environment, but as long as people are still understanding that it's trying to be an animated character, there's no problem. (coughs) What seems to be the problem is when you have an animated character in which the animators are striving for real life, Okay. in which case people tend to become unnerved by things. Um, and uh, I, I think there's a weird sort of extrapolated logic that goes with with episodic content, which is that if at a certain runtime people stick around, so like around ten minutes or less, yeah, people tend to keep engaged in the material. Past a half an hour, past twenty five minutes, people tend to keep engaged yeah. in material. In that weird valley you tend to lose people yeah, for definitely. a variety of reasons. And with the exception of having a platform that already has millions of, of eyes on it. Um, it's, it's tough because you have to engage people and you have to do it quickly. Yeah. If they don't know you, you have to do it quickly. If you're Willem Dafoe and you make a 15 minute short film, you'll get a few million views. But if, if you're someone who's trying to develop their craft, like you were me, it's a matter of minutes.
0: Definitely. Yeah. And I've noticed that. Um, I mean, we we've gotten fewer and fewer views with each episode, but each episode's gotten a little bit longer, too. Yeah. But yeah, like I said, our our intention was to try to build that audience. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's that's something that I, I didn't I never thought about before, um, uh, you know, before like a year ago, really, yeah. was that I've been making movies since I was 10 or 12 years old yeah. and consistently no one watched them. And, you know, I realize it's because I don't have an audience like no one's no one's wanting to watch my stuff. So every time I make something, it's a struggle to get some eyes on it. And so the whole point of Dashing Agent really is to just like build that community, I guess. And then that way, if we make a feature that maybe we have some people to watch it. And right now it's not working very well. Um, but you know
1: it's a in process you're, that you're, stuff you're takes developing. time you're developing and you're building and you're strategizing so yeah trying I think that people at our level have to step up marketing I think we have to step up promotion and the ways that we promote I think that we have to start looking at how features series etc with, with larger followings with built in audiences how do they promote their work w- what style of marketing brings people in because obviously part of it is the audience if there's a show on NBC it's gonna get Couple million people to watch at least the first episode, but properties that have marketing that hooks people that keeps them interested without the divulging too much, it tends to bring in viewership. That there there is a market behind good marketing and good promotion, and so I think part of it too is that people who do the low budget stuff that we do have to have the audacity to find ways to promote it, yeah. and and ways to to benefit from like the multimedia landscape that they already do. So cut cut and recut trailers and find like little snippets that you can use to to reach people um and i think that's that's part of the ticket too is just think of how you can reach new people always think of the audience that doesn't know you how will they see your work i've got to say i hate social media marketing it's my least favorite thing i've ever had
0: to do and it's very obviously essential and something that i need to get
1: better at but it's soul draining. It takes something out of you, doesn't it? It's yeah,
0: it's not fun. And it's like you I feel bad about it. Like that's why I mean, you know, this podcast is a marketing tool. Yeah. Like it's it's really fun to do. I think it's um I think it's interesting for people. It's interesting for me for sure. Uh but but yeah, it's just it's another way to get people to kind of see and I hate this word, but you know, the dashing agent brand. But yeah, so I, I like doing this. I like Making um, like video content that's not just just promotional. You know, I like things that have some sort of value. But I feel like on on Twitter and Instagram, it's just like posting pictures and linking to things a lot. And uh, it doesn't have to be that way. And I'm struggling to uh, kind of get away from that. But yeah, that's a that's a big thing that I I'm trying to be better at.
1: But it's a challenge for sure. It's tricky because you have to find a way to engage people without feeling forced. Yeah. And that's that's hard. And it's it's also hard because I think it's you have to take this thing that you believe in, that you worked on, and you have to find a way to constantly put it before the eyes of other people. And I think there's there's a sense, at least certainly a sense that I had to get over of this idea that it's it's an imposition on other people to be like, "Hey, here's my work. Here's this thing that I care about. Watch this thing." Um I think the best way, what's worked for me, at least is is finding a way to do it in a voice that works for you. If it's that you feel uncomfortable with it, maybe you find a way to like that becomes a part of the thing. It becomes a part of the the idea of like, hey, you know, like so and so and I don't like this and like this is uncomfortable, but here's this thing that I care about. And yeah. like I also think we're at a point where we undervalue earnestness. That we we undervalue that sense that we can be our authentic selves to other people. Because I think we are at a point where that's becoming more and more appealing. This yeah. idea that like be your authentic self. If you don't like it, then do or that while you're doing it's
0: it. It's because people brand themselves yeah. as a person. And that's that's another reason why I made Dashing Agent. Yeah. It's because I didn't want Reese Hayes to be the brand. I wanted to have a brand. And so it's, you know, Dashing Agent has become sort of, you, you know, my weird alter ego. But I, I like I like that more yeah. because it's not, it's not me. You know, I can make it sound like me and I can kind of... Um, you know, just turn me up a notch. Right, right. But still, like I have, I've got my own Twitter. I've got my own Instagram. Yeah. I don't really do much promotional stuff on that, which is probably a detriment to me. But, uh, but yeah, I, I don't, I don't understand. I do understand it. I don't want to brand myself. It's really scary, honestly. Yeah.
1: It's a fine line to toe when you're an actor, because there's also the additional discomfort of other people worked on this a filmmaker crew like a screenwriter sat down and wrote this filmmakers got together and made this i i feel like that's always made me take greater care and go to greater lengths to make sure that like i'm promoting this as part of a larger effort um and that's that can be tough because it's 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 like journaling with somebody else's thoughts which can feel a little uncomfortable and so that that was a big challenge for me was finding a way to do that that didn't feel like i was like taking somebody else's voice yeah. And as an actor, finding a way to promote the work without necessarily branding myself, yeah. which I agree with you is something I haven't really wanted to do um, because it feels artificial.
0: I, I honestly think, and this is, I've, you know, I've noticed this when I, when I do post things on, my own personal account, yeah. it does a lot better yeah. than on Dashing Agent. Sure. And I, I think that is because people can see that Dashing Agent isn't a real person or isn't a real thing. Right. Um, but Reese Hayes is. Yeah. And so they react better to that. But again, it's just not what I want my persona
1: to be. Right. Well, I, I think that's tough. I think the, like the, that's where you start looking at like the off-ramp strategy of like, so like this is... The uh, some promoting on like personal stuff but with the the ultimate goal of being like hey, head over here yeah like not here, here sure you know it's the it's the people on the airport runway with their <laughs> the orange cones they're waving yeah, yeah, yeah. around like nope there there, but it's tough.
0: I wanted to I wanted to tell you something I thought I was just thinking about the other day. So, so I moved here just a few years ago. Uh, it took me a while to kind of like ingrain myself in the in the little film community and I kind of did that through a lot of the Point Park people sure um and obviously Eric Rigby and but he knew all the Point Park people so that was kind of thing but I had seen I can't remember what the first one was but I had seen like I don't know like 12 of your Point Park shows <laughs> um and so and I was like and I always thought you're really amazing I was like and so when um we we're doing Half Bath and I asked you to do it, and you said yes. I was, like, super excited. It was, like... Oh, wow. Yeah, I don't mean this to sound like a backhanded compliment either, because it was, like, when we were doing that, it was, like, <laughs> I was, like, oh, man, we got Eric Swader, like, a real celebrity is, like, yeah. what? And, like <laughs> and not to say that you're not. You obviously are. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, it was, like, it was such a funny experience for me. And now that I've gotten to know you, and it's, like, yeah. you know, I almost feel a little silly, too. I was, like you know you were like a big deal
1: back then to me well and it's 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 funny because i think that that's the weird thing about anybody at our level is if you get an impression of them that isn't personal so like if i saw your work i would think of you through your work right that's that would be my lens um The same is true of me, that people will be like, oh, I saw this, and oh, you this, this, and this, which is hysterically funny because, like, big who cares? Like, it's like, no, I'm I'm super proud of my work, and I'm super proud of the people that I work with. But there's this weird thing of when you have – when you try any kind of exposure, even if it's within a small group of people, it creates this image. Yeah. And it puts that forward. Um, But it's funny because Point Park was – I've told other people about this. I've talked about this. I I stole an education from Point Park in a big way. Yeah. Because that's that's really where my first my first short film film experience period was in Point Park.
0: Yeah. And I know you've said publicly yeah. that, that late night today is going to be your will be your that was it last Point Park. That production. was my last Point Park thing. But I mean, you did a you did a bunch, and like you didn't get paid for any of those. Like how okay? Let me. What do you? How many projects have you acted in as a as a lead?
1: for absolutely no money Mm, at point park if i had to put a number on it it's at least 40 wow maybe 50 um and then 60 with supporting stuff Uh, that's impressive and that's like it's like larger thing it's like senior projects and it's junior projects and it's it's everything in between yeah i always enjoyed it and i always enjoyed doing it and I, i didn't I don't think I stopped doing it because I don't think I would have enjoyed experiences. I think it it came down to, you got to grow. And I really, and truly do feel that point park or working with the cinema department was an education for me.
0: Yeah. And I, I think it's super admirable and kind of inspiring that you did that amount of work. I think a lot of people, especially actors and I, you know, I'm not an actor, so I can't necessarily talk about this with the, I, I enjoy your presence in Cobblestone. Well, thank you. Um, but I feel like a lot of actors at a at an independent level, you know, get one to three short films under their belt, student films, and then kind of expect like paychecks coming in, yeah. and to be like, oh, I'm offer only, or yeah. or I, uh, you know, I only I have a day right now, or whatever, you know. Yeah. And it's just film is such an interesting thing. Like you have to. Just roll in the dirt for
1: so long to really yeah. accomplish anything. And you have to kind of not think of it as dirt while you're doing it. True. Like, I think, and yeah. that's the thing too, is that, like, while I was doing it, I thought of it largely as an education. And while I was doing it, I built like reels and I had m- material that I could show other people. And as I built that material, it got me paid work. Yeah. It got me commercial work. It got me this, this, and this. It got me opportunities outside of Point Park that I wouldn't have had. But at the time, it was always that idea of, I am meeting people who are like-minded. I am meeting people who also care about film. I am developing the muscles and skills that I need to develop as an actor. Uh, specifically with film because there really is no educational course set out in any major university for film acting. And you have, in, in some cases, you'll even have theater departments that are, are resistant to the idea of theater actors investing themselves too much in film work yeah. and really developing those 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 sets you'll have like acting for film courses in, right. in universities but they tend not to usually drama
0: schools yeah
1: um and and that's great like theater arts are important and it's it's a, an important wonderful medium but it, there isn't a lot of crossover for a lot of those students into film and so i was picking up an experience that a lot of students in school don't get and i was sort of keenly aware of that while i was doing it um and while I was doing it, I made some great friends. Yeah. I had some really – some people who were important to me. And, and I, I think that's the thing is if – I don't just view acting as a career. I want to do it as a career. I would like to build it into that. But I could do a lot of things for money. Yeah. I think a lot of us could do things for money that would sustain us. I do this because it sustains a different part of me. Right. Um, so it was – it was – It was a ride and it was an experience and it made me a better person. In small markets like Pittsburgh, and I'm assuming in big markets even, um, it's very easy for delusion to set in. And I think acting in particular is a profession that attracts a lot of that. Because I think it's, it's, you are promoting yourself and you are trying to put yourself out on display and that can be stressful. That can be an odd experience to do. Um, And when it doesn't pan out, and when you get rejection after rejection after rejection, as I have, um, it it can start to fuss with you. Yeah. And definitely. I I think that if you don't find a way to ground yourself in something else, then it'll 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 push you over. And I think in a small market town, it's more pronounced because you have people who who they push a little too hard in the wrong direction sometimes, and it, it shows. And it, it's it's the the Hollywood of the East. Poison got to a few too many people, I think.
0: Wow, it got hot in here. Yes, Yes, it did. I told you. I was like... For
1: the record, I still feel pretty good. Good. Hey, you want another drink? I would love another drink. While he's gone, please someone notify the authorities. I'm here against my will. Please call my girlfriend and my dog. Hey, buddy. Thanks again so much for the drink, buddy. Yeah, no problem. Thank you so much. I love being here. Have you experienced burnout? Yeah. Uh, In fact, recently I've I've gone through that. Where I hit this wall where... I had a lot of grand ambitions in the spring and I wanted to do a lot of things in the spring that I didn't get to do and I just kind of like you lose momentum and you you especially if, I'm not quite at the point yet where I'm I have the strength of will the strength of character that a lot of people that you certainly do to take resources and turn it into something I haven't done it It's there they aren't muscles that I've worked yet and so when I feel that sense of of desperation especially as an actor there's not much you can do you you kind of sit and wait and if you're smart you try to heal a little bit um and on top of that from a personal standpoint I'm a very political person and I've uh, with the presidential election ramping up I I feel more invested in that without getting into too much detail but that was another element for me too is that I I I care very deeply about that stuff and I have my entire life um and so it was this sort of weird moment where I, I sort of, for some reasons, consciously and some unconsciously, I sort of took a step back. Um, and I've also my entire life had issues with depression that I think sort of reared their head in the last couple of months, where it was like, "Do you feel comfortable? Do you feel healthy?" And there was a moment I don't think where I did, um, and I feel much better now. I'm in a better job and. I live in a really great new place with my girlfriend who's amazing and our great dog and we have a backyard and like things are good and I think I'm back at it, especially with the clearing has, has, has put me in a much healthier position too because it's given me a way to use the tools at my disposal.
0: I, I don't know if you've experienced this, um, but especially when I was on Mindhunter, not so much now that I'm unemployed, but a little bit. Um, I would, we would shoot on the weekends, it would be a lot of fun. Really enjoy that. Yeah. And then on Monday, I would just get hit with this huge depression. Yeah. And it was mostly because I was spending all weekend doing something that I really loved that I felt like, you know, what I want my career to be. Yeah. And then Monday, was, like, getting snapped back into reality. Yeah. Oh, man. I should have quoted Eminem there.
1: But, um, <laughs> oops, there goes gravity. Yeah, yeah, yes. it just like,
0: Hashtag oops, there goes gravity. Yes. Um, mom spaghetti. Mm. But it was, uh, yeah. It like that was a real struggle. It was a, yeah. not fun to deal with. Yeah. Um, but I don't know if that's something that you've gone through too
1: recently. Um, it, over the winter, I got like perilously, uncomfortably close to a speaking role on Mindhunter. Yeah, I remember. It wouldn't have been a significant role. It like it was. It was the roles that get cast in Pittsburgh. And the reality of it is that if you're an actor, you don't get to choose what you get. You, it's not a menu. Um, if if they want something different. It's I I can't change that I can't change that I'm five eight. I can't change that I have brown hair. You can dye it, but if you find somebody who does have brown hair and is maybe six one, then sorry, you're out of luck. Yeah. Um and it, it what's tough is being in a position where you gotta absorb that experience and accept that it's okay. That it's okay that they said no, that it's okay that you feel bad that they said no. Just kind of uh, <clears throat> take into account that things don't always feel great and and take the blow and move on. And I think maybe take it into account that it's great that somebody wanted to see your stuff. There, there's a risk you run as an actor of complaining too much. And I don't want to be one of those people. I don't want to la-la land the situation. Sure. Um, but that's, I think, the frustration that you just kind of have to accept and internalize. Um, and by that same token, I see friends who go to Los Angeles or Atlanta and who get work um, and keep working, and that's stressful too. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the last, our last
0: Dashing Agent the Podcast episode was about moving to L.A., yeah. and I had this whole spiel at the beginning where, you know, I don't know if it's the best move for everybody. Mm-hmm. For some people, it, it, it is. But a lot of people, everyone almost – one hundred percent of the people that I graduated, or I didn't graduate, they graduated the film school that I dropped out of. Yeah, all moved to L.A. Yeah, right after graduating. Yeah, and I, I mean, I don't know. I know a lot of them are assistants at agencies or whatever. Yeah, and you know that's a way to do it. I guess. Um, it's not the way I can do it. Sure. Like I, as from working on Mindhunter, I learned that the only way that I'm ever gonna be a successful filmmaker, whatever that means yeah. is by just making films, Yeah. you know? And, and, you know, LA is not the place to do that, but yeah, for acting sometimes, well for acting, obviously LA is a better place to get bigger roles than in Pittsburgh, but I think that it can be a certainly. certain, yeah. but I think like what you've done here, you've made the best out of this situation, this community, yeah. and you know, you've. Built a reel. You have work that you can show. Mm-hmm. Where I know yeah. that there are people who have been in LA for ten years have nothing. Yeah. You know, and that's sometimes not the best thing.
1: And it's it's I agree with you completely. And that's that's the conclusion that I usually come to <laughs> when I'm yeah. having when I'm having a tough day. That's usually like I was talking with Steph Trainer from the Clearing um, about this, and we talked about like, do you? I mean, do you see yourself going to LA? Do you seriously going here? And I thought like, not really. I don't really want to move to Los Angeles. I, I I might lose that battle in a couple of years depending on I don't want to move there until I have to move That's the thing, is I don't I prefer not to. Yeah. And if I can if I can help foster an indie scene here, I'd prefer to do that. I, I don't really want to move to Los Angeles. I would do it because it's a company town. Yeah. And it's the company that I want to work for.
0: Now this might be a loaded question. Sure. But we've talked about it a little bit, we've had some some get togethers about yeah. it. But what what do you think are some actionable steps? that we as filmmakers in Pittsburgh can take to make the community as a whole
1: better? Number one thing, um, shootable scripts. And by shootable, I don't mean, it's separate from a question of quality, that's something else. Scripts that can be shot and lead to a coherent project with the resources that we have. Um, And I've talked about this with other people before. Independent filmmakers in Pittsburgh have to start leaning into non-science fiction, non-horror projects. Get rid of the
0: zombies.
1: (laughs) A little bit, yeah, frankly. Um, Not to say that, like, so I'm working on The Clearing right now, which is a great idea. And it's being executed really, really well. But it's sort of an exception that proves the rule in that it's character-driven. And it is specifically based on character and writing. Cobblestone is great because, again, it is. And if you haven't watched it, you should. Um, because, again, it's, it's derived from character development and writing. Because they are concepts, low-budget concepts. We specifically write things that we can shoot. That's yes. the whole thing. And that is, like, step number one to me, is how do you do that? How do you write scripts that you can actually shoot and put out as a thing? Not like a concept for a thing. Yeah. Not I don't want to see any more I d I don't want to see any more like concept teasers. Have an idea. Write a script. I'm so sick of seeing little shorts with stock footage. It drives me up the wall. And I just don't want to see it anymore. I, I don't wanna just find a way to shoot something in its entirety. Create a vision, shoot it. Um and it's it's and I think that also means that you have to limit science fiction and horror because I think that we need to see more character-driven stories. And, but that also means that we need to see a process that asks more of actors. That, that all right, you have a low-budget script. It's an independent script. It is a dramatic or comedic piece, and it's, its ultimate success is derived from the collaboration between director and actor. So that needs to strengthen. Because there are, I've seen too many directors in Pittsburgh who don't know or don't really want to connect with their casts. They have a limited concept of what they want to do. It's usually visual as opposed to story related and that's what they're going to do. Um, we have to start showing people performances that connect with audiences because I do think that quality matters. I think that quality can be a brand. Um, and not the other way around. Uh, I think if we start telling stories that A24 tells, uh, tells um, the kind of sort of ambitious, low-budget, relatively speaking, sort of independent productions that are derived from good writing and good performances, that's the nuts and bolts of it. Um, and then on top of that, you need directors who can bring it together yeah, and who can work with the resources that they have and find ways to innovate within the low budget confines like my
0: my thing that i've noticed and i don't know how to solve this um is that it feels like there are multiple film scenes here yep there's a lot yep. like there's like there's like the point park people yeah who were great and they're just from my experience they seem to be willing to kind of branch out you know they want to get off campus yeah of course um but then there's like there's like the the horror people. There's the people who only do the forty eights. Yeah. And then there's like people. I don't, you know it just seems like there's a bunch of different little sects of yeah. of filmmakers, and I think a big problem is that these groups aren't coming together or you know mixing more. Yeah. To to make different things because I think a lot of these people there's like you know just like five filmmakers over here who work together on each other's things yeah. but they're all kind of making the same thing yeah. and i think that happens a lot and what i i, I what i would prefer and I, again don't know how you do this not a clue
1: is instead of having
0: you know 12 different film scenes to have one big
1: film community i agree with you i agree with you um i thought about this a lot too actually it's why i think i've 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 when I've had the wherewithal and the, and the time, I've tried to get, be in a position where I can get people in one room. Yeah. People from groups that maybe haven't been together. And I wanted, I wanted to do that a lot more consistently than I ended up being able to do and I want to continue doing it. But, it, it, I think it's, I think part one is a matter of getting everybody in one room or getting people representative from different scenes in one room and growing that circle outwards. Yeah. Um, And I think part of it Another thing I mentioned earlier that I'm, I'm very politically driven, I think I'm, I'm fascinated by politics and government, is that if you look back at the great political movements in history, they weren't premeditated. There is no premeditation. It's, it's a big element of it is finding those moments where some leadership emerges or something emerges that people can galvanize around and that creates movements. And that creates that, that, that thing, that, that cohesiveness that we're looking for. And so I think part of it is is doing what we can to make it happen while we're working, but making sure that we are aware of a moment or a thing that people can coalesce around, of a thing that people can, can gather around. I think the 48 has been arguably the most successful in bringing people together and bringing people together that might not have come to it. My big problem with the forty eight is I think it also attracts people who only want to do the forty eight. that's
0: that's my experience with it. yeah.
1: um, and I don't it, it, like what you like. Do what you do. I God bless you, do what you gotta do. Um, but I personally don't care about the forty eight.
0: Well, for me, I only did it once. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, we had a good time. We made an okay thing. yeah. um it's it's just not how I work. Yeah. I, I can't you know um, Rigby and I uh, were like the team and we stayed up until four a.m. writing a script. Yeah. We were up at eight a.m. Yeah. shooting it, and then you know I was up at seven a.m. the next day editing it. And like that's that's just not how I like to work. I like I really like to take more time in the script writing, obviously. Yeah. But from what I've get, from what I've noticed around Pittsburgh and the in the forty eight is that it's people who who yeah they like. They need this – they need a deadline to make yeah. something. Yeah. And, I mean, <laughs> I don't want to talk bad about people who only do no, 48. No, no, because
1: it's a lot of them I, – I do think – because I've done a couple of them, and we kind of just had fun with it. There was no big expectation. There was no big – there was no big – you know, pressure to get any product out of it. It was just let's have fun with it.
0: Yeah, it's a great way to get people to just make something. Cause yeah. I think a lot of people get in their heads and they're like, This, you know, this has to be perfect. We have yeah. to have a five thousand dollar budget. Whatever, you know. And I think I think yeah. that's bad too. Yeah. But what I worry about is that this there are two forty eights yeah. every year. Yeah. And I think it gives people an excuse to not make things outside of that. I agree. Let's do the summer 48 and let's do the fall horror 48. Yeah. And then that's their whole year of filmmaking. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, it's good. I want people to make films. I want people to have fun. Yeah. Um, but I also want people to honestly take it
1: just a little more seriously. And I think that's the question is how do you how do you bring people together with the same level of interest that that seems to generate? Yeah. Um, and I think that's the tough part because I, I think in a town like Los Angeles or New York the reason is money I, I just when you, when you don't have resources there needs to be a bigger force to galvanize people um, so again I think it's about getting more people in the same room more frequently and then waiting to seize those moments that come along of like a script that really motivates people or an experience or filmmaker that really inspires people or whatever
0: I think that's something that's troubling with filmmakers and you know this isn't true in every sense but I think a lot of filmmakers are selfish in a way where you know people want to they write their script they think their script is the next big thing mm-hmm. and that's that's what they want to do and it's it's I don't think that film is a competitive sport you know like you don't see a lot of a lot of directors yeah just like offering their services to somebody else for free or whatever. And maybe that's because like in my experience or in my case, um, I don't have a lot of talents in other areas. (laughs) You know, like I can, I'm learning a lot about sound. I can, I can do that. Okay. I can operate a camera to some extent. Um, I can set up a C stand, but like, you know, I don't, I'm a director and I'm a writer and, uh, and those skills aren't necessarily useful on set if you're not directing. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I guess I just, I think that, um, there needs to be more of a selflessness and more of a community aspect where
1: we're trying to
0: build, build something greater than just our own personal careers.
1: The other thing I will say is this, is that in lieu of resources, there needs to be, I think the promise of a pipeline. So if we work together what platform do we have for that work to be seen on? Because the reality is with it – because it's, it's not even a matter of narcissism. It's it's we are creating things for people to see. We're creating things for an audience. And I think if there's an understanding that you are working towards a thing that might not get you a lot of money, there's a good chance that it will get you an audience and a good chance that it will get you seen and a good chance that it will bring attention to the work that we're trying to do. Um I think that's the tough part. I think it's how do you – and I have ideas. But I think part of it, again, is how do we figure out how to build a gateway and and point at it and tell other people, hey, there's a gateway. And if we all build this thing and push through the gateway, it will connect with people. Yeah. And, okay. I, I know I've said this like three times now.
0: Another reason that I wanted to start Dashing Agent was for that purpose. I mean obviously I want, I want to build – my career i want that to happen um but if like if i were able to build an audience through dashing agent or whatever um you know like that is a form of distribution yeah on the internet obviously but you know like i'm I, i i want someday to be able to be that sort of um mini a24 and i think there's there's there are people here making good things they just get lost in the shuffle. My stuff gets lost in the shuffle. Yeah. Sometimes your stuff gets. Late night today did not. It's very well promoted. You know, very good stuff. But we're doing what we can. Yeah, exactly. But you know, like I think that, I think that I'm trying to be more practical about it and realize that the internet is maybe our only hope right now. Yeah. Um, film festivals are tricky, and the even getting into the getting into the big ones is really your only shot and that's really challenging. Um, And sometimes it has nothing to do with how good your movie is. Um, But if you can, if you can build an audience on the internet, you can, you're always going to have somebody to watch something for sure. And I think, you know, and that's, that's what I want to do.
1: Well, and let's, let's deconstruct it even further. Let's go back to, to what made films engrossing in the first place. What made film as a medium interesting is is exhibition houses that people wouldn't normally get to see. It's the Nickelodeons. It's the it's the the opportunity for someone off the street who could come in and see moving pictures for the first time. It's exhilarating. It's exciting. It brings you in. At some point, I mean, there I'm sure there was money coming into these businesses, which I, I believe correctly were based mostly out of like Connecticut. I'm pretty sure the film industry began largely in New England and then yeah. eventually fled across the continent to L.A. Um, what brought those people in? It was something they hadn't seen before. Yeah. Um, I, I You could write, and people have written, pages and pages and essays and books about what the best screenplay is and how do you get people to watch this, this, and this. Do your best to give them something they haven't seen before. Even if it feels at first like they have, there's always a new formulation a new a new reconsideration of a theme or an idea um that will that will rock people and change people you know I think if you look at like Christopher Nolan as a filmmaker I think memento is is a is a film that had a story that had been told in variations before it's a revenge story but he did it backwards but he did it backwards correct and is a gimmicky sure um, but people thought about it and I talked about it. And I talked about this idea of how you use a broken narrative to tell a story differently. Um, how do you engross people? How do you bring them in? It starts probably with good marketing, with a way to, to put your best foot forward and get audiences in the door. How do you keep them there? It's with something that is a little bit different than they've seen before. And it's harder now because we have we are coming now upon, you know, a hundred plus years of, of tradition in cinema now, and th- a lot of those people have money, and they have untold millions of dollars that they can throw at marketing. Yeah. Um. But that's the that's the real promise of social media. As frustrating as it can be, if you find something and it clicks, I think that's the that's the ticket. But I yeah. think it's a matter of this is sort of it's the challenge, but it's also the fun. How do you find something people haven't seen before?
0: Well, um, anything else you want to say or plug or um, comment?
1: Um, You know, the clearing uh, is, I think, the big thing on my docket right now. Uh, Production wraps on that. Principal production wraps in the next week or so. Um, But I'm very excited to see what comes of that. I think the director... Stephanie Trainer and her writing partner Carl Nequist. I hope I'm getting his name correct. I feel I'm going to feel real bad if I don't get it right. He probably won't listen to this. So. He probably won't. But he's a great guy and a really smart guy. They're both really cool, um, and they're really exciting voices to have in Pittsburgh. And so I'm excited to see what comes of that. I have a couple things that I am writing. One project I hope to have actually developed and done in the fall.
0: I'm excited
1: for that one. Um, so we'll see where that goes, but I'm I'm in the throes of writing that. Um, so I I part for me, I think it's mostly just I'm branching out from acting and trying to do writing, and at this yeah, point, that's, that's my great. next goal. But let us not forget, yeah, late night today. Late night today, folks. Late night today. Anthony Padilla's late night today. It's a tale late of night today. tale of late night redemption. Uh, icon George Stanton finds himself knocked off his uh, perch, the throne if you will, uh, is uh, rescued by an ambitious young producer uh, who might just know a way back to the top, even if it's through an unconventional means. Late Night Today, Anthony Beduzzi's Late Night Today, featuring yours truly, Eric Swader, and the wonderfully talented Emily Good. Late Night Today. Late, Late Night Today.
0: Yeah. Well, let's also plug, um, uh, what is it? It's uh, on Instagram at... Olive the PGH
1: pup? Is that is that what Olive the PGH pup, the one up. and only the cutest dog in the She's whole damn world. Real sweetheart. Um um it really only in that league is is Mr. Finch here. Yeah.
0: I don't even know. Olive might be a, a, ahead of the game there.
1: I want to see them together in a production. I think they I think they would make a wonderful team.
0: I do too. Mr. Finch would hate that though. He's really bad with those. Let's use that. <laughs> I'm worried that Olive will be upset sure. or offended. Let's use
1: that. Right. No, but she's great. Um, and then you can follow me at Real Tot. Uh, Let's
0: see. We talked about Julie a few times. We did talk about at Julie. Julie Griffith. Is there an underscore in there?
1: At I can't remember what her, her Instagram handle is. But when you when we do this, we can tweet it out and like. Sure. We'll yeah. associate it with it. Uh, Julie Griffith, who is a wonderfully talented photographer, graphic designer, social media marketing guru. Um, who's a real ace, real proud of her, real happy for her, love her a lot.
0: And then other than that, keep following The Clearing. That'll be coming out eventually. And, of follow course, the storm. Follow, follow, follow the storm, the storm. duh. Yeah. And, of course, Late Night
1: Today. Late Night Today, folks. Anthony Boudicis Late Night Today, a tale of late night redemption. A tale of redemption, very late at night. Thank you, folks.
0: That's it for Dashing Agent, the podcast. Uh, have a great night and late night today.